Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. Good morning. I hope your last few weeks of teaching have been enjoyable, not too stressful. Today I would like to talk about three things. The first is a behaviour management strategy that I seem to have developed without realising and which seems to work quite well. The second thing is a change that I made which I was at first reluctant to make but turned out to be very positive. And the third thing will be a funny interaction that I had with my year eight class in which I lost my composure. So the first thing, that behavior management strategy. Now, I don't know where I picked this up from. I can think of one other teacher who perhaps she does it as well. So maybe I unconsciously picked it up from her or maybe I just did it a few times accidentally. And it worked. And so I have started using it more regularly. But only this week have I kind of spotted myself doing it. So the strategy is this. When you want a student to follow an instruction. So, for example, can you take your coats off for me, please? It's an instruction that I find myself giving increasingly often as the as the cold weather comes in. Can you take your coat off for me? Now, the strategy is to issue the instruction to the student and then to look away. Don't issue the instruction and then stop and stare at them and watch them until they have followed the instruction. Instead, turn away. And I found more often than not that the students follow the instruction and do so quite quickly. And it leads to fewer problems than if I were to issue the instruction and then watch them like a hawk until they've done what I've asked, until they've taken their coat off, for example. Now, why is this? So I've been giving it some thought and I'd like to share my thinking with you. So what does this strategy communicate to the student? So I say to Casey, Casey, can you take your coat off for me, please? And then I immediately look away. I go back to doing something at the board. I go back to doing anything else, but I don't watch her. I think that this communicates to Casey that I trust her to follow the instruction that I've given. And then from her point of view, I feel that she doesn't want to let someone down who she believes trusts her. And that makes sense, right? If someone trusts you, you you wouldn't want to let them down. So the fact that I've given her the instruction and then turned my back to her tells her that I trust her to take her coat off. She doesn't want to let me down because she believes I trust her, which I do. And therefore, she takes her coat off. And I think this highlights the fact that relationships for learning are most certainly underpinned by trust. The teacher and the students have to trust one another to act in one another's best interests. If you haven't got that foundation, then everything else is going to be shaky. 
In fact, I was at a conference in the week, a character education conference, where someone said that before learning, you must have belonging. So unless students and staff feel a sense of belonging, learning can't take place. It's paramount. And so I think this strategy that I developed where I issue an instruction and then turn away, I think this communicates to the student that I trust them. They, in turn, don't want to let someone down who they think trusts them. And so the instructions, more often than not, are being followed. And what's the alternative? So the alternative, as I said a moment ago, would be to issue the instruction and then to watch them like a hawk until they've followed the instruction, until Casey has taken her coat off, for example. That would say to the student that I do not trust you. I have to keep an eye on you. I think that you won't do the right thing unless I am operating constant surveillance on you. And surveillance is a form of punishment. If you watched someone all the time, that would be a horrible situation for them to be in. It's unpleasant. But by turning away, by looking away, you communicate instead that feeling of trust. And it seems to be working. It seems to do the trick. So I thought I'd share that with you. And of course, there are some students who won't follow an instruction regardless. And with those students, you need to take a different approach, no doubt. But I found that for many students, this approach does seem to work. And I'm sure it also has something to do with the fact that I've now been teaching my students since September and those relationships for learning are really coming along. So I can kind of exploit those relationships to get students to do something as trivial as taking their coat off in the classroom. But also those interactions where I I choose not to watch the student to ensure that they've followed the instruction. Instead, I turn away those sorts of interactions They're built on the relationships, but they also reinforce the relationships. That was the first thing. The second thing, I recently made a change, which I was initially resistant to, but which has turned out to be very positive. So I'm a maths teacher. Our curriculum is split split up into discrete units, as I'm sure many maths curricula are. Each unit ends with a unit assessment. After the unit assessment, we have a feedback session where students make corrections. And after they've made their corrections, they then have a go at some show questions. That's what we call them. They're questions which are very similar to the questions from the unit assessment. And it gives the student an opportunity to show what they've learned from their corrections. Now, up until the most recent units... I would always essentially create a duplicate assessment on a piece of A4 paper. All the same sorts of questions, all on a single page of A4, but I've just changed the numbers. I would hand one of these sheets to every student in the class, and the students themselves would have to identify their areas of weakness. They'd have to choose their show questions. And sure enough, I'd whip round and make sure that they were picking the right sorts of questions but they would have to identify where they lost the marks, what their area of weakness was, and then select the correct question on the show question sheet and then have a go at it. And other teachers in my departments have different approaches. Other teachers 
print off each show question on its own little square piece of paper and decide for the students which show question they ought to be doing and they would give each student the relevant question. Now, I used to defend my method by saying that it gives the students more room to develop metacognition, to think about their learning and to decide for themselves what their areas of weakness are. And I believe that's true. I believe that's true. But really, it was motivated from laziness. I couldn't be bothered, really, to figure out which student needed which show question, print them all off individually, cut them all up with a guillotine, slot them inside their test papers. I couldn't be bothered with all that. I just wanted to get all of the questions together on one sheet. Every student could have the same sheet and each student would decide for themselves which question they needed to do, which certainly increased efficiency. But in the most recent units, that wasn't an option. So the most recent units were data representation with my year sevens and my year eights and my year nines. And in those units, the questions always involve charts and graphs and pie charts and things like that. And it's too much to all fit on one side of A4. So I couldn't use my previous method. Instead, I had to use the method of my colleagues where I'd print off individual questions and give each student the relevant show question. And the thought of doing this to begin with caused me some anxiety because I'd become very comfortable with my own little way of doing things, which I thought was the superior, more efficient way of doing things. And I was quite reluctant to begin with. In fact, I did spend some time trying to fit all of those questions onto one side of A4, but, but gave up in the end. So I had to revert to the other method, the method that I originally thought was inefficient. But you know what? It's fantastic. And by taking the time to figure out which show questions which students need, it really helped me realise which areas on the test were most problematic for my classes. So using my old method, if someone said to me, after the assessment, or which question did your class struggle on the most, I wouldn't have known straight away. But using this method, where I have to decide on the show questions for the students, I knew it instantly. And this meant that when I was doing the feedback sessions in the lesson, I could spend more time on those questions, the questions that most students got wrong. And you know what? It actually didn't take me much more time. It probably didn't take me any more time than my previous method of printing them all on one side of A4. So what's the moral of this story? There's obviously a specific lesson to be learned there within the realm of maths education. But I think more generally, the moral of the story is don't be resistant to change. And in fact, making a change can help you realise that the way you'd been doing it before wasn't the best way to do it. It's very easy to settle into habits which are comfortable, but which might not be the best habits. It's good to be pushed outside your comfort zone and, and you should relish those times as opportunities for growth. So I'll try so next time I'm pushed 
out of my comfort zone, I will try to remember this lesson. I'm sure I'll experience some measure of anxiety nonetheless, but still, I think I've learned a lesson there. Okay, the final thing, the third thing I want to talk about this week was a funny interaction that I had with my year eights. So it was during the test review lesson that I just mentioned a moment ago. I had a student at the front, let's call her Sarah, who kept turning around. And I said, Sarah, stop turning around. It's rude. Can you be sure to face the front? You need to listen to me. You need to get your corrections down. Come on. And she said, but sir, John keeps taking the mick out of me. John being sat a few rows behind her. Again, made up name. John keeps taking the mick out of me. And I said, look, don't worry about what John's doing. Don't even turn around. Just face the front and let's focus. And she replied with more details about what John had been saying or doing. And I cut her short and I said, look, look, Sarah, I don't want to get bogged down in this. And she and several other students immediately looked confused. They were like, what's Bogdan got to do with this? So Bogdan is, a, is another student in year eight, not in my class. And they thought I was saying something to do with Bogdan, which started to make me giggle just a little bit. But I, I reined it in. I got that under control. I said, no, 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 no. This hasn't got anything to do with Bogdan. What I said was, let's not get bogged down with this. And again, I don't think they'd ever heard this idiom before. And so they replied, what, do you need the toilet, sir? <laughs> Bless them. The only context in which they'd ever heard the word bog before was in reference to the toilet. And they thought I was making some comment about a toilet. At which point then I really did start to laugh. And when they saw me laughing, they started to laugh. They took that as permission to to have a jolly themselves. And I was in no position to get control of this class at, at that point because I couldn't control myself. I, I wouldn't say that I was full on laughing, but I could not stop myself from smiling. I'd found it really funny. And if you're smiling, you're in no position to start issuing strict orders and to, to regain control. So I just had to let that one play out for a minute or so. So we may have lost a minute, we may have lost a couple of minutes of learning there, but you know what? I think the kids were so quick to join in with the laughter. I think often they they really want to connect with their teachers on a human level and there's no more human level than humour. It made me think about my time at school and I realised that the only thing I can remember about primary school, I mean, I don't have the best of memories. I can't remember a single lesson I had in primary school. The only thing I can remember from primary school was making my teacher, my year two teacher, I think, was making her laugh. We were doing a play. I was meant to be Tutankhamun or something. I had this cardboard headdress of Tutankhamun on and it was too big for me and it kept falling down and Miss Kimberly found it very entertaining. And again, she, like me, lost it, just started laughing, had to indulge in the laughter for a few minutes before she could 
regain her composure. And that's what I remember. I don't remember a single lesson Miss Kimberly taught me. I'm sure she taught me loads and I'm sure I've internalized all of it, but I can't remember it. But I do remember making her laugh. I do remember having that human connection with her on that occasion where it wasn't just about learning. It was about finding something entertaining together, doing something together. And I had a moment like that with my year eights this week. And I wonder if they will uh, remember it in 25 years time. I'd be interested to know. I wonder what I'll be doing then. I wonder if I'll remember it in 25 years time. If I'm still doing this podcast, I'll be sure to let you know. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. Please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash MrBrownPod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.